Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Pratt. And today we're joined by Jay Balakar. And Jay specializes in cash flowing commercial multifamily real estate, including sourcing investment-worthy deals, underwriting, performing financial and physical due diligence, structuring partnerships and asset management. And he's the founder and managing principal of the Compounding Capital Group. So all the way from Ohio, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Jay. How are you doing? Thank you, Aileen. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. And that, what I was mentioning earlier was it's getting a little warm out over here, but we're staying cool a little bit, but it might not be as warm as some of the other places that I've, I've talked to, like in Arizona and Vegas, which are getting like over 100 degree weather right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not that hot here, but it's very muggy. That's what we have in Midwest. So. So Jay, can you share with us a little bit more about your background and what your current focus is on in real estate? Sure. Maybe I'll do a 50,000 foot background, quick background. So my background is in technology. I went to school for computer science and IT for my grad school and right out of school, got a job in IT and cybersecurity consulting. So that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. And got into real estate because that's always been something that I'd been curious about. My dad had been investing in real estate back in India, where I'm from, and it's really served him well. So it was always something on my radar as an investment vehicle. And so I started reading about real estate during my trips to you know the client site for the clients I used to serve. And over time, I really got fascinated by the prospects of real estate and what it could do to really change your lives and change the lives of others. So, you know, took a first step when COVID happened, I started working from home. And that's when I had a little bit of time to start a side hustle, like a lot of other people who started side hustles during COVID days. So the eight unit here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm based in, that was the first deal that we did. Extremely distressed property. We had to fix up everything. It was a nightmare and everything that could go wrong did go wrong, but a lot of lessons learned. And the one thing we didn't make a mistake on was a location. And thankfully the property is doing very well now. So, but it was a really scary property, learned a lot of lessons. And from then we just tried to replicate that model and built a portfolio of about 450 doors that we are in now. Awesome. So when you mentioned during COVID time, you were looking for ways to you know, create a side hustle. What were some of the other things that you had looked at? And why did you decide on multifamily and real estate in particular? Yeah, absolutely. So I think fundamentally, it came down to, I think what got me started and uh, like a lot of other people was uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because it really explains you the difference between assets and liabilities and why it's important to build assets in your life to have a you know at least financially free life towards the tail end of your journey right so that got me really thinking about okay i got to build some assets so you could build businesses you could buy real estate cash flowing assets and I think I was uh, not smart enough to start a tech company and write some <laughs> code that would become a billion dollar company. It's like, man, yeah, that's too risky. I'm not smart enough. I've got to 
do something that where I could put in focus, energy, and a grit, I could make it happen. And real estate was one such vehicle. And the second book that I had read from Robert Kiyosaki was Cashflow Quadrant. And that kind of showed me some of the tax incentives that you get when you invest in assets and businesses and create jobs. And real estate was, again, another vehicle that would let you do that. So those were, I think, the triggering factors to get me started. And that's why I think real estate was the vehicle that I chose, in addition to some of the background that I just stated about my dad investing in real estate and he having a good experience with it. And then multifamily, I think I started investing in 2020, which I believe it was a good time to invest in because there were a lot of other people who had done it before me and had written books about it and had written all the content about why multifamily is better than single family and why it's better than flipping or things like that. Of course, there's money to be made in all types of real estate investing, but from a scalability standpoint, from a cash flow standpoint, multifamily stood out for me the most, even from certain tax advantages. And that's why I picked that as the way. So after you discovered real estate and decided that that was going to be the vehicle that you're going to create your side hustle on and generate some additional streams of income for yourself, what did you do afterwards to get started? Yeah, I think really after that, uh, just double down on education, I would say. A good two years, I've been educating myself. So 2018 through 2020, it was mainly just reading all of these books, Bigger Pockets, Ken McElroy, Kiyosaki. So almost every book behind me here is a real estate book. I've not uh, read all of them to be completely transparent, but just reading all of these books to get me started. And then, of course, I did find myself at some point to be stuck in an analysis paralysis where I felt like I had the knowledge, but still really didn't have enough courage to get started. And then I also joined Vinnie Chopra's academy. And Vinnie is one of my mentors who I highly respect as an entrepreneur and also as a person. He's just a phenomenally positive person. Mr. Smiles. Mr. Smiles. He's just an amazing <laughs> person. And then, you know, I was like, okay, we got to take a step. And then finally, when I started to work from home, I was like, okay, this is my opportunity. If not now, then never. And actually, right before COVID happened, we had put this property under contract. And then by the time we closed, COVID had not happened. I was still traveling for work. And I was actually, I remember feeling overwhelmed that this property needs a lot of work. Oh my God, how am I going to take this down? Is the eight units? That was the eight units in my local market. So thankfully it was in my local market, but then COVID happened. I was able to work from home and then I GC'd the whole project myself, got a lot of bids and Could I have outsourced a lot of that, the GC work? Even today, me and my wife self-managed some of our properties. Yes, sure, we could have outsourced, but we wanted to learn a lot of that ourselves. That way, when we did outsource, we knew where people were kind of fooling us. So that's how we kind of got started. It was a nightmare of a project. Of course, the building was missing a roof. The two balconies fell off after we bought the property. So it was a partial reconstruction, new plumbing, new electrical. A lot of lessons learned in terms of managing a rehab, managing the budgets. But yeah, I think that was really the beginning. So the eight units that you came across, it was missing a roof. The balcony was gone. Yeah. What drew you to this property? And how did you decide that you were going to purchase this property? And how were you going to manage this distressed property and bring it up? Like, What were you thinking yeah. as you were getting into it? 
That's a great question, Alien. And I think there were a few factors that drew us to this property because we had been looking at multiple properties. One of the things was that these eight units were actually two quads, so technically two residential properties. And it was easier for us to qualify for residential mortgage because we didn't have any commercial real estate experience. So qualifying for a commercial mortgage would have been a lot more difficult. So we were looking at residential. Four so there units, were two different loans then? Two different residential loans? Thankfully, it was a blanket loan. Oh, actually, the first loan was actually two different loans. The very first one that we did when we bought the property were two different residential loans. Once the property was fixed up, we did a blanket commercial loan on it. Got it. So I think that was one aspect. And the other thing was, main thing really was location. We knew that one thing that we can't get wrong is location. So even if the project goes over time, over budget, if it's in the right location, and even if we end up over-renovating it, if it's in the right location, there will be demand for it. And we were proven right. It took us uh, longer than we thought. We thought it would be a 90-day rehab, but it took us eight months. We thought it would be a $70,000 rehab. It took us 230000 wow. instead. <laughs> Thankfully, we had a HELOC on our home that had been paid off, so we had reserves to tap into. But after it was all set and done, the rents, when we bought the property, it was half vacant, but it was at about 450 a unit. We were able to get the rents up to almost $1,000 a unit, which was beyond what we had initially anticipated. So the gamble paid off by the end of the day, but definitely a lot of lessons learned. What did you actually end up purchasing that property for? That was for about 50 a door. So 400K for eight units. And... Uh, It was on market. So, you know, if it was off market, we could have potentially gotten a better deal. But So $400,000 that you purchased it for, and then you went to $230,000 rehab cost after that. But after all that was said and done, you were able to bump up the rents from the $450 to $1,000 after renovation costs. That is correct. Yes. So what happened to it afterwards? Did you still hold it? Are you deciding to hold it long-term and continue to cash flow it? Yeah, it's a good property in a good location and the residents are great quality people. There's no trouble. We are planning to hold on to it for at least a few more years. And we did a cash out refi and it appraised at 840K. So all our initial investment plus the rehab cost, we were able to pull it out and the property still cash flows. So we'll hang on to it as long as we can. And then Maybe if we find some bigger property that we want to chase down, we can liquidate this one and roll it into a bigger one. Would you, knowing what you know now about the rehab project and looking at it, what would you do differently if you were to go back and purchase that same exact property? How would you manage it differently? Or what would you do a little bit differently the second time around? I think I would speak to a few more people who actually have done these heavy lifts, potentially even partner up with them. Trying to do it all by myself was perhaps the single biggest mistake because I was overwhelmed every day for eight, nine months in a row. Nothing's worth losing your sleep over. So I think if you can partner with someone who's done this before, you lose a little bit of control and you have to give up a portion of your profits, but it also takes away a lot of your worries and brings in more predictability if you're partnering with someone experienced. So I think that's something I would have done differently. And because you were doing this rehab while you were also working your full-time job as well. And so I can only imagine how you're able to manage your time, especially with such a heavy value, value value-add lift on this project. 
Oh, yeah. It was hilarious because I would actually take my conference calls and Zoom calls from the construction site. <laughs> and sometimes my colleagues on the other end of the line could hear some hammers swinging and stuff falling. And they would be like, oh, what is this noise behind you, Jadeep? And like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm in the Cincinnati local office and everybody I work with are not from my local office. I work with people in New York. And I'm like, oh, our local office is undergoing renovations, you know, because I can be like, oh, I'm at my construction site and trying to have a call with you. So you got to do what you got to do. And I guess if I was not there, at least initially, for the most part, I think things would have very easily spiraled out of control because those initially I was able to spend more time find out who's actually doing quality work and who's not. Thankfully, most of the contractors that we were able to pick after several rounds of interviews and bids turned out to be great contractors, but a couple who were not, we were able to fire them right away when we noticed that you know they were not performing. And then did you decide to, I don't remember if I missed this or not, but did you and your wife decide to manage the property yourselves or did you hire a property manager to help out with that after the renovations were complete? Yeah. So this specific property and a few other properties that we tackled after this one were similar sized, 8, 10, 12 units. So that personal portfolio that we have where we don't have any partners, we self-manage that even today. And I think mainly was one, to learn property management. A lot of people scared us, so tenants, toilets, and trash, you don't want to deal with it. But it really is not so bad if you have the right systems and tools in place. And it does make a huge difference to your cash flow. I mean, that cash flow is looks a lot better before the 10% plus leasing fees goes out. <laughs> <laughs> and so after this eight-unit property that you had renovated mm-hmm. significantly on, after that, what did you do differently? And what was your focus after that? We did a few more of similar types of projects. So right after this one, after we did, actually this eight unit is something that I cashed out refi twice on. So we did the cash out refi first, freed up some of our capital, went ahead and bought a 10 unit. And this time we had a little bit of experience to qualify for a commercial mortgage. And the other biggest advantage of a 10 unit or any commercial property was just the way it's appraised, NOI-based appraisal. So that's what we really wanted. That way, if we add value, increase the rents, we want it to be appraised based on the NOI that we are driving as opposed to the comps. Uh, That was another lesson learned from the four unit. So we did that. That was another eight-month project. We had to empty the whole property out. It was affordable housing when we got the property. It was in bad shape. So, you know, when you are trying to get people out who are on affordable housing, it's a big problem throughout the U.S. and in Cincinnati as well. You know, there's not a lot of people who can't find, you know, people can't find a whole lot of affordable housing. So we gave them enough time, three to four months to vacate the property, got that property turned around. That was a 10 unit, did a cash out refi on that one. Same story. Did another eight unit, another four units. Built a portfolio of about 30 doors and then we ran out of capital. So that's when we were like, okay, I think we've got enough experience to start raising capital and doing deals with other people's money. And we were forced to as well because we were out of our own capital. So that's when we did our first JV deal, which was a 32 units also here in Cincinnati and a 63 unit JV also here in Cincinnati metro area. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us. 
because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So up until you guys decided to do the joint venture partnership mm-hmm. structure, everything up until then was just between you and your wife and it was your own capital and then using the cash out refinance strategy to be able to fund the next following of properties. That's correct. Yes. Got it. So after you decided to do the joint venture partnership, how did you find your partners on this joint venture? And then how did you structure it? And it was similar to the 64 unit that you did right after. Yeah, similar structures. The way I found the partners on the 32 unit was through social media networking and also a couple of groups that I was a part of. So I have two more partners on that. And I invested very little money on that deal, but my role is mainly boots on the ground and asset management to some extent. And that was, again, all 32 units had to be renovated and that work is actually still going. It's almost stabilized now. So that was kind of the value that I brought to the table and found my partners mainly through social media. And I had connected with them for almost six to eight months before we got in a deal together. And on the 63 unit, same thing. I actually found my partner through Bigger Pockets. I had published my blog post about how we scaled to 30 doors using the Burr strategy and all that. And then a lot of people started to reach out. You know, I had underestimated how powerful these social media platforms and bigger pockets can be. And then I met this individual and have been speaking with him for again eight to nine months. And then finally, we put a lot of offers on a lot of properties that didn't work out, but then the 63 unit came along and it was an off-market deal that I got from a broker was much larger deal than I could tackle by myself in terms of the capital raise required. So I reached out to him. He's in Bay Area, you know, has friends who have capital. So together they brought all the capital and I brought the deal and boots on the ground and stabilization. Yeah. So during all this time as well, you're still working your W-2 job and you're still working real estate. You're managing several units at this point now. How are you managing all of that? And you know, how are you dividing your time between your family and what you've been doing in real estate? Because it takes a quite a lot of work to be the operator and the sponsors in the yeah. space and working the full-time job. So how are you able to manage all of that? Yeah, I mean, that is true. You know, I mean, there's no shortcuts. It is extremely time consuming and stressful because most of the people we work with, you know, they need handholding. So they don't talk to each other. So you're always fighting fires. It is extremely time consuming. There's no denying it. And I think the compromise that you have to make is like I had to stop spending time on a lot of the hobbies that I had. So I enjoy photography, I enjoy cooking. And I don't think I've really spent time doing either of those two things for a couple of years now. Uh, Also, I think it's difficult to do it, especially if you also have kids, not saying that it's not possible, but you want to spend time with your kids and your family, you know, we don't have any kids yet. So I think that kind of helps out a little bit too. And it requires a supportive spouse. My spouse has been extremely supportive, you know, beyond my wildest imagination, 
And she's been in the game with me. You know, she used to help underwrite some of the deals and she does some of the uh, accounting. She's more of a numbers person. I'm not that much of a numbers person. So, but she's engaged with uh, me on this as well. So it's more fun to do it together. That way your goals and journeys are kind of aligned. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of sacrifices that we had to make. But I think in the long haul, it's all, you know, you're sacrificing your time now to free up some of that time down the road in your early 40s or 50s, if you will. And so what continues to motivate the two of you to continue putting those efforts in those long hours, finding those deals, managing them, rehabbing them, acquiring the loans? There are so many different activities that go on and being an active investor in your space here. So what really drives the two of you to continue to focusing on? I know you mentioned that it's uh, you know work hard now and then later on we'll be able to enjoy it, retire a little bit earlier than the 65 years old. But what else yeah. drives you guys? That's a great question, right? Because if you, I mean, really what you're asking is like, what's our why and why we keep going? Because yeah, sure. You know, there's no denying money is one of the aspects, but you know, when you're operating these deals, you don't really see money for a long time. So you need something else to keep you going. It's, it can't be just money. So I think for us really one, I really enjoy everything about real estate finding deals, getting it under contract, doing the due diligence, the renovations uh, part of it, and just the before and after, you know, buying something that's really ugly, then fixing it up. And now you have a really nice property. You're changing the block. I think the whole process is extremely enjoyable. And also, I think it makes a big impact on the community as well. Because when we did that first eight units and then the 10 units, we actually got some thank yous from the city's building department and the city that, oh, you know, these few blocks were actually problem areas. Overall, the neighborhood was good, but these blocks had some problems and you guys fixed the property. And now newer, nicer residents have moved in. So you're solving true problems. I think all of that is really very rewarding. So I think, you know, overall, it's the value addition to the property, value add to the society, and uh, value add to your pockets, value add to your investors' pockets. It's all very rewarding. So win-win all around. (laughs) Yeah. And so Jay, for you, you know, you've done several deals now at this point. You've been involved in very heavy value add lifts and worked on these very difficult projects. What is next for you guys? That's a great question. And it is something that we discuss internally with my partner all the time that what should we focus on? Should we continue to focus on these mid-sized properties? And that's kind of the inventory that we have here in Cincinnati market. Or should we focus on something larger and scaling to larger properties? Unfortunately, 200, 300 unit properties are just not that available in my market. So I think one of our focus areas, primarily our number one focus is to be great operators and make sure that our deals operate very well. And we actually deliver the promises that we've made to our investors. I think that's truly our number one goal. And number two, we want to start getting better at capital raising. Being operators, we know kind of what the challenges are on the ground. And we also understand, we've been listening to our investors and we also know what are their kind of challenges or the questions in their minds that they have. So we are trying to focus a little bit on that and value add and education content for our investors. That way we can also increase our investor pool and then join some of the other great operators in other markets. That way we are not just 
localized to our Cincinnati, Ohio market and can start exploring some of the other markets outside of Ohio. And so Jay, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything but positive things to say about this whole journey. And it's multifaceted. Sure, I have less free time, but I don't think I'm complaining about it. It's actually a great thing not to have free time. And through real estate, you know, all of the things that we talked about, cash flow, tax advantages, all of that is great. But I think primarily I've met some of the best quality people through this journey. Extremely positive people, entrepreneurial, go-getters, people who take accountability, people who have positive mindset. Abundance mindset. Abundance mindset, go-giver mentality. And you don't really, I mean, you find some of those people at work also, but who you work with in your W-2, you don't get to choose that. You know, your company decides who your boss is, who your colleagues are. Some of them are good people. Some of them are not. But here, I've been able to choose who I hang out with, who I work with. And I've met some of the most incredible people who have really encouraged me to get my habits in check, you know, focus on healthy habits and productivity and adding value to others and things like that. I think that's been the number one best part about this journey in real estate. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. It's like almost like, you know how they say real estate investing, especially within multifamily, it's a team sport. And so it's like you are assembling the best team that you can around you so that you can come up with your A game. You can go and play with the big players and, you know, have a win-win situation all around. And it's really fun to see that. And like what you mentioned, the people that we're meeting in this space is fantastic. The abundance mindset, the outlook and view on life is fantastic as well. And so it's a great place to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And so Jay, if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Yeah. I think I underestimated the amount of work it takes to be an active investor. So if you want to get started in real estate, maybe I would have started as being a passive investor, at least initially, and gotten my hands on bigger deals, but in a passive capacity where I don't have to take all the risk, nor do I have to do all the work. Look at some of the excellent operators and how they work and how they do business and how they manage assets. I think that would have been something that I would have done, of course, if I had the capital to invest. That's, I think, a good strategy to start off of. I think that's something that I would have changed. I think active investment is extremely time-consuming and stressful, And it also may not be for everybody. Not everyone enjoys it because it is a lot of headache. You know, you're running around contractors and managers, property managers, tenants. It is a lot of headache. So a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to buy this for family. I'm going to fix it up and it's going to cash flow well. Oh, yeah, but they're not ready to deal with the headaches that come with it. So I think that's one thing that I would have probably, and now looking back at my journey, would have done differently is just start investing passively first, and then slowly ease in my way into active investing. And if there is one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, real estate is, in my opinion, it's really straightforward. It's not rocket science. You don't need a fancy degree to get into real estate, but like any business, I think, and we are learning that through our journeys too, there are a few qualities that you need as a leader, no matter if you're doing real estate or any other entrepreneurship venture. And that's just really 
being able to lead your team and building the team, encouraging them to deliver quality products, being able to take the accountability, having grit and determination because yeah, there's always fires to be fought. And if you give up easily, it's not the game for you. Yeah, I think those are some of the key ones, time management and having healthy habits. I think having healthy habits has a huge impact on your productivity and you want to be productive so that the team sees that, oh, you are productive and then they will be productive. So if you're slacking off, your team is slacking off as well. So you want to be that role model. So I think some of these qualities, you just need them in general to be a good entrepreneur, be it real estate or really any other business. Awesome. Well, Jay, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of that with us. And I really appreciate and grateful for your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Alien. It was a pleasure. So Jay, if our listeners also wanted to find out more about you and what you're doing, where's the best place that they can go? Sure. They can reach out to us via our website, which is www.compounding, which is an ING, compoundingcapitalgroup.com. Very active on Facebook as well, and also LinkedIn. So I'm very active on both of these platforms. My full name is J-A-I-D-E-E-P, Jadeep, and last name is Balekar, B-A-L-E-K-A-R. And would love to help anyone who wants to reach out. This is something that I truly enjoy. So always willing to spend time with people talking about this. Thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Aileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.